it's a joy to, uh, to you know, get to preach right after we all prayed together in song like that. What a, what a fantastic prayer um, before this section of 1 Thessalonians chapter 3. Past, uh, Pastor John preached last Sunday, 1 Thessalonians 3, 1 through 5. So our text this morning is verses 6 through 9. Uh, and I'd like to talk, first of all, as we begin, about the moment between verses 5 and 6. I think of it as the moment before and after. The moment before and after Paul got the big news he had been waiting for. Part of the reason why I say this is because if you look at verse 6, there is the word now at the beginning of that verse, and that word probably means just now, right now, at this moment in time. So remember that Paul wrote 1 Thessalonians shortly after he received the news about how the Thessalonians were doing. He wrote back right away. So as Paul is recounting what happened in this letter, we can think of the space between verses 5 and 6 as the moment right before the news arrived about how they were, how they were doing. Every spring, there is this moment when I go to the mailbox and I pull out the big envelope that has our tax return in it. Uh, pastor's taxes are a little complicated, and so you can't usually e-file them. Um, so we have a service that specializes in that. And so they send us our tax returns once they're ready. Um, and it's a little bit too large of an envelope to want to open in the middle of the road. So I take it out of the mailbox. But here's the news, you know. And for the last several years, just the way tax laws have changed and whatever, honestly, I had no idea what was coming. It could be really good news. It could be really bad news. But there's the moment. I'm standing there in front of the mailbox, and I've got the envelope, and I walk back to the house where I'm going to open it and find out. And so that's a little bit like the moment between verses 5 and 6 in 1 Thessalonians 3. Maybe a little better illustration than the taxes is when if you've got like a dear friend or family member that's in surgery and you're there in the hospital waiting for that surgeon to come out and give you the update. How did it go? Was it successful? And you know it could be really good news or it could maybe not be good news. So what Paul was waiting for wasn't an envelope or a surgeon, but he was waiting for the arrival of Timothy coming back from his visit to Thessalonica, and Paul knew the news was coming, and he knew that it could be really encouraging or it could be really disappointing. How were they doing? And Paul was genuinely afraid that the news was not going to be good. So let's look back up at the text and see that. Chapter 2, verse 17. But since we were torn away from you, remember that's the orphaned word, since we were orphaned from you, brothers, for a short time, in person, not in heart, we endeavored the more eagerly and with great desire to see you face to face. Paul really thought they were going to get back quickly. Verse 18, we wanted to come to you. I, Paul, again and again, meaning that he kept trying and trying, but Satan hindered us. Verse 19, for what is our hope or joy or crown of boasting before our Lord Jesus at His coming. Is it not you? For you are our glory and joy. Therefore, when we could bear it no longer, 
So Pastor John explained that last week. Paul couldn't stand it any longer. He had to know how they were doing. So when we could bear it no longer, we were willing to be left behind at Athens alone. And we sent Timothy, our brother and God's co-worker in the Gospel of Christ, to establish and exhort you in your faith that no one be moved by these afflictions. Anybody remember Pastor John's illustration last week about not being moved by these afflictions? I think it was Noah and his bike and his brother's tendency to do things that might knock him off the bike. Paul was concerned that their faith would be knocked over by their afflictions. The end of verse 3, he says, For you yourselves know that we are destined for this. For when we were with you, we kept telling you beforehand that we were to suffer affliction just as it has come to pass and just as you know. For this reason, when I could bear it no longer, I sent to learn about your faith for fear that somehow the tempter had tempted you and our labor would be in vain. Okay, so that's our, the background to our pivotal moment in chapter 5. So this is the moment when, when Timothy sent Paul a text and said that the GPS said his ETA was 10 minutes. And Paul knows, here it comes. Here comes the news. Had the critics in Thessalonica turned the new Christians against Paul? Had Satan tempted them so that Paul's labor was in vain? And by the way, as Paul was waiting for that news, he was also continuing to go through his own afflictions and his own distress. And he really was hoping for some encouragement. So, here came the news, verse 6, but now that Timothy has come to us from you and has brought us the good news, you know that word, right? That's the gospel word that here Paul uses it for the good news of your faith and love and reported that you always remember us kindly and long to see us as we long to see you. For this reason, brothers, in all our distress and affliction, we have been comforted about you through your faith. For now we live if you are standing fast in the Lord. We'll pause there. The news that he got was good news. So, what does this mean? What does that moment mean for us 2,000 years later? Why does it matter? First of all, because it reminds us that Christian faithfulness is good news indeed. Christian faithfulness is good news indeed. Paul brought back the news, first of all, that the Thessalonians were continuing to demonstrate the essential characteristics of true conversion. And the characteristics that he describes here parallel the characteristics we saw back in chapter 1. So you have a little section in the middle of your notes about that. 1 Thessalonians 1 verse 3 told us that the gospel produces, first of all, work motivated by faith. And so here in chapter 3 verse 6, Paul says he got the good news of their faith. Their faith. Work motivated by faith or faith in chapter 3. Chapter 1, verse 3 says that Paul rejoiced that in their labor motivated by love. And here in chapter 3, verse 6, he says he got the good news of their love. And then, chapter 1, verse 3, he celebrated the good news of their steadfastness motivated by hope in our Lord Jesus Christ. And here in chapter 3, verse 8, he calls it 
standing fast. Faith, love, and hope, or standing fast, these things really do summarize the authentic Christian life. Paul had seen those things in the beginning in the Thessalonians, but he really wanted to know if those things were continuing because when someone is truly saved, those things do continue. And so that's why chapter 3, verse 8, is especially important. For now we live if you are standing fast in the Lord. And Paul words that there in a way to indicate both that they were standing fast but also that they needed to continue to do so. But they were. That was the good news. Faith and love and hope were continuing. They were standing fast, or as many translations take it, standing firm. And notice verse 8 says they were standing fast in what? In whom? In the Lord, right? Not just in some kind of religious rituals or something, but in their relationship with Jesus Christ. They were standing firm. And standing firm is essential according to the New Testament. True saving faith is not like a sparkler. Are those legal in California? Or do we not even know what those are? I'm not sure if those are legal. Anyways, you know what sparklers are, right? They go, and they're gone way too soon. Saving faith is not supposed to be like that. True saving faith perseveres. But it's easy to persevere, right? Well, no. Because the world and your flesh and the devil are not going to help you persevere. Those things are going to try to knock you off the bike. And you have to stand firm. 1 Corinthians 16, verse 13. Be watchful. Stand firm in the faith. Act like men and be strong. So I pulled just a few examples of some things the New Testament says we'll have to stand firmly against. The New Testament tells us to stand firm against self-righteousness and self-confidence. Those who put their confidence in the flesh will try to get you to do the same thing, to say, I'm good enough, I'm fine. Next, stand firm against the temptation to make earthly pleasures your God. That's where he says their God is their belly. Whatever feels good, tastes good, satisfies my desires today, you've got to stand firm against that. Stand firm against frightening opponents philippians chapter 1 those who will try to intimidate you away from christ we've talked about that some in our gender series next stand firm against false teachings second thessalonians chapter 2 false teachings and then also as we saw in galatians stand firm against the burden of legalism as some in galatia tried to get them to Force those Gentile believers to live like Jews. And Paul says, no, stand in your freedom that you have in Christ. So we will not always stand firm. Sometimes we will fail. But then we need to repent and seek the Lord's strength to get back up and stand firm once again. So point one was Christian faithfulness is good news indeed. Because standing firm is so important. That's why it's such good news. True believers in Christ will stand firm. They will continue to demonstrate the essential characteristics of true conversion. Now, you've made the page turn. There is a second aspect to their faithfulness, a second part of the good news that that Timothy brought. It's in verse 6. 
At the end of verse 6, Timothy reported that you always remember us kindly and long to see us as we long to see you. So the second part of the good news, the second part of their faithfulness was that they had good memories of Paul and longed to see him again. The word kindly just refers to good memories. And it seems like a pretty simple thing to say they had good memories. But remember that in Thessalonica, there were people who were trying to sow doubts in them about Paul. Did Paul really care for you or was he just in it for himself? Was Paul really telling you the truth or was he maybe deceiving you? Did Paul really love you or did he just want you to applaud him? And, by the way, why did Paul leave so fast? And why hasn't Paul come back if he really cared for you so much? Oh, and did you notice that ever since he came to town, your life has been a lot harder. You get mistreated a whole lot more. And, by the way, did you notice that everywhere Paul goes, that seems to happen? Trouble. So are you sure you want to be following this guy? That's what they were hearing as very immature Christians. And so it was actually very good news that they had good memories of Paul and they longed to see him again. They were continuing to demonstrate the essential characteristics of true conversion, standing firm in the Lord, and they longed and they had good memories of Paul and longed to see him again. Now, in the rest of these verses, Paul emphasizes how meaningful this was to him. And for us, this is not just an ancient curiosity. Here we learn about the comfort and the thanksgiving and the joy that we can experience as we help one another stand firm in the Lord. So, number two, the faithfulness of our brothers and sisters is cause for comfort, thanksgiving, and joy. Comfort, thanksgiving, and joy. Look at those things in verses 7 through 9. For this reason, brothers, in all our distress and affliction, we have been comforted about you through your faith. For now we live if you are standing fast in the Lord. For what thanksgiving can we return to God for you for all the joy that we feel for your sake before our God? So first of all, the faithfulness of others can encourage us. We've already learned recently about how we influence each other through our faith, how we pass through one another's influence like through a mold, and it shapes our faith. So we won't really spend time on that, but just note that in verse 7 he says, we have been comforted, that word could also be translated encouraged, through your faith. You know, when we are, when we are faithful and when we are encouraging others with our faith, it's a wonderful two-way street. Your faith encourages others. Their faith encourages you. Secondly, the faithfulness of others is cause for abundant thanksgiving to God. Verse 9, for what thanksgiving can we return to God for you? And what Paul is referring to here is praying, prayers of thanksgiving to God. We know that because of the phrase, before our God, at the end of verse 9. He's talking about coming into the presence of God with prayers of thanksgiving. And first of all, really practically, that's important just to remind us on this Sunday of Thanksgiving week that this week, many people will name things that they're thankful for. They'll think of good stuff going on in their lives. 
But for the Christian, there's something very different that we're doing. We're not just happening to think of what might be good in our life right now. We actually know the giver. And so we're actually not just saying, hey, here's the good stuff going on, but we're saying to God, thank you. Because God is worthy of the thanks as the giver. Now, what Paul was saying here is that he expressed thanks to God because of how the Thessalonians were doing. When he heard the news that they were standing firm, he went to thank God. Because the only way we ever stand firm is by the power of God. He is the one who truly strengthens us. And so he deserves the thanks when we stand firm. So Paul went to God with thanksgiving because he found out they were standing firm. So here's a thought-provoking question. Do we do this? Of all the things that might come to mind for you to thank God for this week, would this come to mind? Brothers and sisters who are standing fast in the Lord. It should be something that comes to mind. Because Paul emphasizes here that we could never thank God for this too much. He emphasizes that in two ways. First of all, he uses the word return or repay. How could we ever repay God with thanks for all he's done? And the reason why he says it that way is because we can't. There's just there's so much we could thank him for. And then Paul also emphasizes this by using that rhetorical question in verse 9. For what thanksgiving can we return to God? And what, the way we maybe say that in modern English is, how could we ever thank God enough? And his point is not to discourage you from thanks, thankfulness. His point is to say, there is no end to what we can thank God for. His point is to emphasize the goodness of God. God is so good that a lifetime of thanksgiving, an eternity of thanksgiving, won't ever bring your thanks to an end. There will always be more reason to thank the Lord. And when our brothers and sisters are simply faithful to Christ, God is worthy of our thanks for that. So the faithfulness of others can encourage us. It can be cause for abundant thanksgiving. And thirdly, it can produce deep joy in us. Verse 9 For what thanksgiving can we return to God for you for all the joy that we feel for your sake before our God? Paul says this emphatically as he tends to do with things. The Greek is literally, for all the rejoicing with joy, multiply joy, emphatic joy, to see a brother or sister standing firm in the Lord is cause for deep joy. In your handout, I listed for you several other places in Paul's letters where he talks about the joy in God's people, including 1 Thessalonians chapter 2, verse 20. You might remember that from the 20th anniversary sermon where Paul says, you are our glory and joy. But it's not just Paul who says this. Hebrews chapter 13, let your leaders give account for your souls with joy. 2 John verse 4, I rejoice greatly to find some of your children walking in the truth. 2 John 12, I hope to talk face to face so that our joy might be complete. 3 John 3, I rejoice greatly that you are walking in the truth. 
And third John 4, I have no greater joy than to hear that my children are walking in the truth. So I'm taking time to park on this a little bit because it should stand out to us as different. Look, here's one of our challenges as Christians coming to church each Sunday. We can come in here and get in the church zone and we can miss that the stuff we're saying is kind of radical. If we were saying it out there, outside of, of, of here. And what we're saying right now is one of those things. In these verses that I just read to you and also here in 1 Thessalonians 3, these, writing, these writers are expressing their deep, profound comfort thankfulness and joy about other people and they're not talking about a boyfriend or girlfriend. They're talking about brothers and sisters in Christ. And the reason why this should startle us a little bit because as being very kind of unusual thing to say is because the world today says just follow your heart and do whatever will make you happy. I saw some social media post yesterday and I don't remember the exact words, but basically it said, don't forget to live for yourself today. Remember, this life is all about you. And here, the Bible says that one of the things that brought the deepest joys for followers of Jesus was when they looked not at themselves, but out at their fellow brothers and sisters in Christ and saw that they were standing fast in the Lord. That is startling from the standpoint of a very individualistic society that we live in, where our joy only comes from the good things that happen to us. So we need to ask this question, why did Paul and John and the author of Hebrews and Jesus himself find such encouragement and cause for thanksgiving and joy in other people? What would make you care so much about other people that some of your deepest joys would come from their spiritual progress and their spiritual stability and their spiritual faithfulness. Well, the question is, is not what makes a person care like that, it's who makes a person care like that because it's God, right? The saving grace of Jesus Christ changes you so that you start to see people differently. You no longer see people as tools for your own personal happiness. You see a a world of people whom you can love and serve as Christ loved you. You no longer look at people and see them just externally, measuring them by their earthly possessions or their earthly accomplishments. You look at people and see precious value because they were created in the image of God. You no longer look at people and just see a body. You see body and soul together that are going to live forever. You no longer look at people and just see them as existing in this present moment. You see them as people who will live somewhere forever. And so you no longer look at people and think, what can I get out of that person? What can that person do for me? You look at people and think, I wonder if that person knows the hope and forgiveness of Christ. I wonder if that person has a right relationship with God. I wonder if that person knows the good news of Jesus. I wonder if there's some way that I could be a blessing to that person. And then, in your church family, similarly, you don't look around and ask, what can I get from these people? But you know that if these are people who have been saved by the grace of God through faith in Christ alone, then they have to persevere to the end. 
It's what God calls them to. They have to keep trusting Christ to the end, and you know it will be hard. So you will look around and you'll think, I wonder how they're doing. I wonder how their faith is holding up. I wonder how encouraged they are. You see what I'm saying? When you understand the importance of Christian perseverance, you become a cheerleader for the perseverance of others. Pastor John told us last week about how we need to take action to help one another, to strengthen the faith of others. He pointed us to that word, God's co-workers, earlier in 1 Thessalonians 3. We are like cheerleaders, like supporters, like servants who help one another stay upright as we take this pilgrim journey toward the celestial city. And so when God changes your heart and mind so that you leave behind the self-centeredness of the world and begin to find your joy in the spiritual progress of others, then your heart actually does leap for joy when you see brothers and sisters who are continuing to trust God, who are continuing to obey God, who are continuing to stand firm. In a world obsessed with self, you discover that some of life's deepest joys are actually found in the spiritual good of others. Now, that doesn't mean that you stop enjoying other things in life. I'm not saying that becomes your only joy. You still enjoy God's good blessings in this life, but you have deeper joys in things that matter forever. Now, for all that we just said, we actually haven't come yet to the strongest words that Paul has about this. I just kind of skipped over them. (laughs) They're at the beginning of verse 8, where he says, For now... We live if you are standing fast in the Lord. What is he saying there? Is he moping like, I've got nothing else to live for if you don't stand fast in the Lord? No, because we know that Paul pressed on with joy even when people abandoned the faith. So what is he saying? Well, I've worded it this way on your notes. Number three, the faithfulness of our brothers and sisters whom we serve is a life giving encouragement to us. Now we live, he says. Now that we've learned that you are standing fast in the Lord, right now, in these very moments, we are experiencing life. Now, there are a couple different ways to take that. Some translations translate it, now we really live. Meaning, which would mean that this is life at its best. When our brothers and sisters are persevering in the Lord, there's a richness and fullness to life. When you're living for others and seeing them walk by faith, that is really living. It's also possible here, though, that Paul is thinking about new life, renewed life, resurrection. One translation says, it gives us new life to know that you stand fast. It's renewing. It's refreshing. It's re-energizing. I cannot count. How many times in 20 years of pastoring I have headed toward my truck to go to a meeting with somebody and I have not wanted to go. I would love to stay home. I would, I'm tired or I'm discouraged or whatever and I don't want to go. And by God's grace, I go and I come home. And when I come home, It's like I've got new life. It was renewing. It was energizing. It was life-giving. And I am so glad I went. And that has happened more times than I can count. 
Maybe it was counseling. Maybe it was hard. Maybe we were grieving together. Maybe we were fighting sin together. Maybe we were tackling problems together. Now listen, do you know what I'm talking about when I say that too is life-giving? Do you know what I'm talking about? That when you fight for faith side by side with your brothers and sisters, it is simultaneously exhausting and awesome. Because this is the stuff that matters more than anything else. So let's say it again. It is life-giving to fight for faith side by side. It is life-giving to be part of the perseverance of our brothers and sisters. Now we live if you are standing fast in the Lord. All right, so let's finish with three applications. Number one, don't take perseverance for granted. Let's not assume that everybody is holding on fine, that everybody has their act together spiritually, or that everybody is standing firm in the Lord. The Bible teaches us to assume the opposite. Now, that sounds gloomy. I'm not at all saying that we should think the worst of everybody else and assume the worst of everybody else. That's not what I mean. But God is telling us that we can assume that just about everybody is having their struggles. Why? Because the world and the flesh and the devil never make ceasefires. All the talk's been about ceasefires for the last five, six weeks, right? The news. The world and the flesh and the devil never make ceasefires. You might make your own ceasefire, but they will laugh at you while they continue on with their war. We, the devil is prowling. The flesh is hungering. The world is pressuring. We enter the kingdom of God through many tribulations. As we saw earlier in 1 Thessalonians 3, we are destined for afflictions. So you can assume that it's not easy for anyone to stand fast in the Lord. And that's why we cannot take perseverance for granted. That's one of the reasons why the Bible tells us to keep alert with all perseverance, praying for all the saints. That's Ephesians 6.18. Do you have a list of people in your church family so that you are praying for them even when you're not aware of some big news, some big trial that they're going through? This is also why God's Word tells us not to neglect the gathering of ourselves for granted. If you don't take, if, if you don't take, persev- what did I just say? Not neglect. I don't know what I just said. It's also why the Bible tells us not to neglect the gathering of ourselves together. That's what I was supposed to say. If you don't take perseverance for granted, you'll want to be faithful to gather with your church family. This is something that many people seem to not realize about church. That Sunday after Sunday, we are fighting for each other's faith. It's not just about you and whether you need it. You do, but we need you. We are standing fast in the Lord together. The devil has been sifting our brothers and sisters like wheat to try to get their faith to fail. Maybe he's been planting seeds of discouragement and doubt. 
The world has been alluring them with the passing pleasures of sin. Or maybe the world has been mocking their faith and trying to turn them from Christ. Or their flesh has been crying out for gratification, tempting them so that they're hungering for the same pleasures the world is offering. That's why we can't take perseverance for granted. And again, this might sound gloomy, but in the text, the point is the opposite of gloom. The The point is joy. It works like this. You know, when you get those little injuries to a very important body part or a very important muscle, like you sprain a muscle in your wrist or your arm or your hand or something, and all of a sudden you discover that you use that muscle for everything, like picking up your fork and turning doorknobs. You're like, ah, ooh, ow. All of a sudden, you're really thankful for that muscle. Well, something similar is true about the perseverance of our brothers and sisters. When you take perseverance for granted, you don't get excited about it. It's nothing to you. But when you don't take it for granted, then when you look around at your church family and see that God is sustaining and strengthening the faith of his people, you've got joy. And you thank God, just like we thank God for that muscle we'd forgotten about. Some Sundays, I remind myself that God is worthy of praise if anybody comes to church. You see what I'm saying? Because if the devil had his way, and if the world had its way, not a one of you would be here. Isn't that their desire? Isn't that his desire? The world and the flesh and the devil are all going to do anything they can do to you to keep you away. And so when anybody shows up, it's cause for joy and thanks. When you come to church understanding that standing fast in the Lord is hard for everybody, then when you see anybody standing fast in the Lord, you get excited. So first, don't take perseverance for granted. Second, we need to hear about each other's continuing faithfulness. Now, of course, that doesn't mean that we need to brag or that we need to uh, be arrogant or anything like that. That's not what I'm talking about. Um, But just to to simply say to one another, you know, God, really help me this week. Or maybe I failed this week, but God is forgiving me and helping me get back up. Or maybe, you know, I was really encouraged to see that my responses to the kids were a little bit better this week. I could tell God was working in me. To hear those things, we need to hear those things. That's why we have things like Discipleship Connect and fellowship meals and prayer meetings. We talk about challenges. But even as we talk about those, it's evident how God is helping. The very fact that we're here talking to one another about our challenges means that we haven't given up on Christ yet. Um, So I want to comment also on uh, next Sunday's testimony service. We'll do that at 11 o'clock next Sunday. And we want to testify about the faithfulness of God because it's the faithfulness of God that keeps us faithful, right? Now, the thing about testimony services like that is that it's easy for many of us to think, oh, I I don't need to do that. Um, And and it's funny because I think sometimes we think, I don't need to do that for myself. Like, I'm fine not doing that. But that's not the point at all, is it? You don't speak at a testimony service for your own sake. You speak at a testimony service for the Lord's sake, first of all. 
but we need to hear you. We need to hear about God's faithfulness in your life. Has He been faithful to you this year? And I hope that the fact that you're here seeking Christ today means He has. Could you tell us just a little bit about that? Because it would encourage us, comfort us, be cause for thanksgiving, bring us joy, and even be life-giving for us. So I just want to put a little bit of pressure on you that if you tend to think, nah, I'm just going to let other people do that, would you at least this week pray and say, God, is there something that would be good for me to say for your glory and for my brothers and sisters to just be encouraged at the faithfulness of God that has been helping you remain faithful? So that'll be at 11 o'clock next Sunday. All right, finally, number three, believe that it is more blessed to give than to receive. So we're looking at verse 8 one more time. For now we live if you are standing fast in the Lord. Do you believe that real life is found in giving your life for others? I would encourage you, if you are a, a person who writes in your Bible, I would encourage you to put Matthew 16, 25, that reference, right beside 1 Thessalonians 3, verse 8. Matthew 16, 25, it's on your notes. That's where Jesus said, For whoever would save his life will lose it, but whoever loses his life for my sake will find it. And that's what Paul's expressing Jesus is also the one who's quoted in Acts 20.35, it is more blessed to give than to receive. So again, in a, in a relentlessly self-centered society, true life is actually found not in living for yourself, but in living for others. As Paul describes it in 2 Corinthians chapter 4, his life of ministry was like dying daily. You know that passage, right? It's the jars of clay passage. He says, we who live are always being given over to death for Jesus' sake. And then he says, it's all for your sake. And yet, he said that in the midst of all that dying to himself, his inner man was being renewed day by day, made new, finding new life day by day. So he found that ministry to others was a paradox. It was on one hand like dying daily. It was dying to self. It was dying to the me-centered life. And yet, it was at the same time life-giving. There was constant renewal and re-energizing and refreshing in a way that the world can't ever do for you. Jesus was right when he said, whoever would save his life will lose it, but whoever loses his life for my sake will find it. And he was right when he said that it is more blessed to give than to receive. There are depths of joy in being God's coworker. Deep joys, life-giving joys when you get to have a part in the perseverance of the saints. I hope today you would believe Jesus about that. It's not just Paul's testimony, it's Jesus' promise. If you keep trying to hold on to your life for yourself, you'll find that it slips through your hands. But if you let go and live for what Christ is doing in other people, you'll actually find life. Now we live if you are standing fast in the Lord. 
Let's pray. Father, I pray that You would grant to us faith to believe that it is more blessed to give than to receive. To believe that the eternal good of others is worth us dying daily to ourselves. I pray that you would prepare our minds and hearts for a testimony service next Sunday that would bring us great joy and would bring you glory. Would you prepare us to build up one another's faith as we testify to your faithfulness? I pray in Jesus' name. Amen.